You are listening to the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Franz. These talks are made possible in part by generous donations from our listeners. To find out how to support and take part in our community, visit zennovascotia.com. I have three different stories on my mind tonight. And rather than explain up front, I'll just tell the three and then we can go from there. I was reading a book recently that was talking about the opium trade in China. British merchants pushed opium on Chinese people and were incredibly successful at establishing a kind of mass addiction. And when the Chinese government pushed back and tried to stop that process, the merchants turned to the British government who came and uh, not only forced the Chinese to accept the merchants' terms, but took Hong Kong as well as a base of operations for, their, uh, for pushing this drug. It took China a long time to dig its way out. It's an amazing story. That's story one. Story two is an article I was reading recently about Silicon Valley and how many of the people who create our digital world aren't actually engaging with it themselves. They don't want anything to do with it. And they send their children to private schools where screens are not allowed. One executive, uh, obviously you need some resources for this, he had an assistant and the assistant had the parental controls on his devices so that the assistant could stop him from indulging in all the things that he creates for other people. That's story number two. Story number three, uh, there was a conversation recently in which Tibetan Buddhist practitioners were were kind of uh, referencing a hell called Vajra hell. And which, by the way, doesn't sound remotely as interesting as a lot of Zen hells, which include iron shackle hell, and they're very descriptive, but Vajra hell. So I asked one of my friends who practices in that world, what is, what is Vajra hell? What does that look like? And he said, well, he said there are lots of different descriptions of this kind of thing, but he said the one that has stuck with me is imagine that you're in an immense library, maybe one of these old libraries with floor-to-ceiling books, In every direction, there's just nothing but books. And you're standing in the middle of this library and you are in just immeasurable pain. Terrible, terrible physical agony. You don't know what to do. But the fact is that every single book in that library contains 
the thing that would make the pain go away. Not only, would, not only do the pages explain it, if you would just touch it, if you would just touch the book, you'd be fine. The pain would dissolve. But your pain is so immense, it's so all-consuming, that you will never know that and you will never reach out. Ever. You will be surrounded by the solution and you'll never see it. I kind of laughed when he first described it because, you know, a lot of the takeaway of this is that the, the Buddhists who thought up hells are just really sadistic. And, and this fits into that category. I thought, whoa, there's another one. But, but in fact, like my friend, this image has kind of wormed its way into my mind. It seems somehow more horrible than some other things. So that's the third story. We've been talking about the Bodhisattva vows, and tonight we get to number three. Not that there's one, two, three, four, but we say them in this order. That Dharma gates are infinite. I vow to enter them. When I first heard this, I think I had an idea that it meant I needed to get out more. You know? Like, I never really wanted to try bungee jumping, but I thought maybe this means I should. You know? Maybe it means that there's, there's a whole world of experience that I'm missing. You know? Because everything is a Dharma gate, apparently. And I've been kind of, you know, I have my preferences. I didn't want to jump off a bridge or whatever that was. I thought maybe I need to kind of expand my world. And that's okay. You can do that. Part of what this says is that if you do that, you'll discover a Dharma gate. That's the guarantee. And if you try pistachio ice cream, even though you've never tried it before, you'll find another one. If you go to a place you've never been, you'll find another one. If you speak to someone you've never spoken to, you'll find another one. But, but if we stop there, then we just have ourselves running in circles, or not even in circles, just kind of running and trying to touch the world. I don't think that's what's being asked. These three stories are connected for me, I think in part because I've been feeling more and more aware of how in a relatively short period of time, you know, within my adult life, I think we've normalized addiction in the culture. Addiction is no longer something that happens to people who have a, an issue with certain substances. Addiction is something that we actually cultivate. It's something that, that is expected of us. And these same uh, people who are developing the technology that we use attend conferences in which the word addiction is thrown around in a really positive way. Mm-hmm. That's a goal. Mm-hmm. Right? And when we see that we or others are kind of trapped 
you know, that we can't stop looking at our phones, that we can't stop looking at certain sources of information, we, we say, well, that's normal. You know, that's, that's the new normal. I understand. <laughs> I understand how that is for you. We're all in the same club. It happened really quickly. I have to remind myself that if, you know, if we could go back, if, if me of 30 years ago could suddenly appear here and watch how everyone's behaving, I would, I would be so worried. I would be so concerned. I would be concerned about myself. Looking into this little tube to another world. But, but now I'm not, you know, moment to moment so worried. It's just when I stop and I really reflect, when I see what's going on, when I look at the idea, of, again, of mass addiction. I think we haven't talked for a while about the six realms, but maybe you remember that there's, there are gods and demigods and humans and hungry ghosts and animals and hell beings. And the hungry ghosts are the addicts. They can't get enough. And the way that they're portrayed is, as, is having these huge bellies, but these really long skinny necks. So that no matter how much they take in, they can't be satisfying. But if we really frame this in terms of addiction, which I think is useful, it's, it's not so much that they, they're just hungry in a general sense, but that they want something specific. They've decided that there's one thing that makes them feel right. And that thing can never be enough. Right? That thing narrows their world. So that that's the only thing they're looking for. And that's the only thing they're looking at. They don't see the big picture. Whatever that is. To see the big picture would be to possibly take their eye off of this ball, this thing that they're trying to catch all the time. Right? What if I miss something? What if I'm missing something right now? <laughs> Similarly, we've talked about way long time ago when we talked about the uh, fifth precept. You know, there's, a, there's an illusion, I think, when we talk about certain types of substances, that, that they're about expanding the mind. And that's the phrase we use. We say, oh, expand your mind. They might reveal something to you about your mind that you didn't see, but the experience of it is not expansive in the sense that you see more. It's that you see something clearly that you didn't see before. And that's fascinating. It can be so fascinating as to make you want to stay there. It can be so fascinating, fascinating as to make you believe that now you're really seeing something more than what you could see without it. So we confuse a myopic view for an expansive view. Be, uh, Dharma gates are infinite. I vow to enter them. 
in the simplest sense, is the vow to say yes. When the alarm goes off in the morning, you say yes. And I'm going to recommend, don't just say it in your mind. Right? Try this. Really try it. If you have a partner, it'll drive the partner crazy, but try it. So that when the alarm goes off, say yes. And then when you go downstairs and you see that there's a, a sink full of dirty dishes, see that and say, yes. <laughs> and then do something about it. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you're in traffic, you say yes. And when you're not in traffic, you say yes. Mm-hmm. When you get stuck at work longer than you wanted to, you say yes. When the sky is blue, you say yes. And when it's raining, you say yes. You're not saying yes to those specifics. The specifics create an opportunity for you to say yes. What you're saying yes to is this moment. If we want to, we can say that the dirty dishes are a Dharma gate. They are. Or that that person on the street is a dharma gate. Or that the alarm clock is a dharma gate. Because we already know they're infinite, and that means we all know that they're all dharma gates. Right? But when everything is one thing, that means there's really just one dharma gate. (laughs) And you're looking at it. And you've always been looking at it. And you can't ever not look at it. What you can do is not see it. What you can do is deny it in favor of an idea that you have of how it could be better or how it should be different. This doesn't mean, by the way, in case this needs to be spelled out, that you say yes to things that you shouldn't say yes to. That if someone asks you or orders you to do something that you should not be doing, it doesn't mean you say yes. When you see injustice, it doesn't mean that you say yes. But you do say yes to the moment that includes that injustice. Or else you can't see it. You can't say, if, if, if Dharma gates are infinite, you can't say yes to this and say no to that. You can only pretend that you're doing that. You can convince yourself that you're doing that. The vow here is to wake up. The vow here is to see what this moment is. That's why I love this image of the library, this horrible, horrible library. Everything in that library is true. Everything. Except possibly the contraction that's taking place in the middle of it. That can't see it. (laughs) All of these vows, again, they're all talking about the same thing. They're different ways of talking about the same thing. 
They're all talking about the idea of the infinite and your place in the infinite and your relationship to the infinite. If beings are countless and you want to save them all, and yet you don't see where you are, you can't do that. So you look at it with no filter, with no expectation, with no sense that there's something in this room or in this city or in this universe that isn't supporting you. And you say, yes. And in saying yes, you step through it. You step through the only one there is. And you just keep doing that until you die. (laughs) And that's where I'll stop. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.